Today on the Show Me It's Two podcast, Dr. Susan Pendergrass and Patrick Ishmael are joined by Grace Marie Turner. Grace Marie is president of the Galen Institute, a public policy research organization that she founded in 1995 to promote an informed debate over free market ideas for health reform. For more Show Me It's Two podcasts, visit SoundCloud at soundcloud slash showmeinstitute and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Here's Dr. Susan Pendergrass. I'm very excited to talk to you today, Grace Henry from the Galen Institute, and I'm really glad you could join us. We've been doing recently what I think now officially qualifies as a series of podcasts on healthcare. It's more than three. So I think I feel comfortable now calling it a series. And um, I think a lot of the reason, uh, Patrick can speak to it more than I can. This is his area of expertise. But it was sort of prompted by the fact that Missourians um, voted to expand Medicaid in early August. And that that seems to appeal to folks as the way to improve healthcare coverage and healthcare delivery. And so we, of course, have been talking about lots of other ways that we could actually improve the health of Missourians beyond expanding a government program that, quite frankly, we can't afford on the Missouri state budget. So um, I'm I'm so excited to talk to you to learn about your ideas. Um, I just want to say up front, as a consumer of healthcare, when I go to a doctor, God forbid, an emergency room, I assume that the costs are imaginary, like lottery money type stuff, because it doesn't make any sense what I'm paying. Well, I don't know what the doctors, I like, I go in there not knowing any of that. So what I like about what you talk about is sort of pulling the, the, the lid back on that a little bit and, and making it more of a doctor patient transaction. So, um, but Patrick, please jump in. You know so much more about this than I do. Well, I, I, thanks for coming on, Grace Marie. Now, y- you have been talking about healthcare for a long time, and you have a new healthcare choices proposal that uh, puts forward some ideas of how best to meet the needs of folks who uh, need healthcare but may have trouble finding that healthcare. Can you talk a little bit about about what's included in that proposal? Well, the the healthcare choices plan actually is a product of a large conversation among those who believe in markets and doctor-patient control over healthcare resources to um, come up with a different way of a getting coverage for everybody, making coverage affordable, and particularly doing a better job than Obamacare has done of taking care of the most vulnerable. So this is a this is a product. The uh, first version of the Healthcare Choices Plan had 100 conservative and free market organizations signing on. We hope to meet and exceed that for a version we're calling a version 2.5 of the Healthcare Choices Plan that both incorporates a lot of responses that we've seen to the COVID pandemic, but also moves forward with a really robust answer to the Medicare for all and public option for all uh, proposals that we see coming from the left. And and, we've talked to Stuart Butler from the Brookings Institution. He's been talking about Medicare Advantage for all. So how would you say that this plan differs from from his approach to expanding coverage to more people? Well, Medicare Advantage actually is a private program that offers Medicare recipients an option to continue to have the kind of private plan that they had when they had their employer-based health insurance, for example. But, but it's still run from Washington, and it's still very highly regulated by federal rules. And in this country, 
with 330 million Americans that has that's so diverse, such different resources, such different needs. We believe that states, which have for decades been the primary regulator of the private health insurance market, should really have more power and control over how to give people more choices of private coverage. So I think the goal that Stuart Butler is articulating about giving consumers choices of private plans is something we share, but we believe that the states are much better able to deliver that and have a proven track record rather than the mountains of federal rules and regulations that you get with Medicare. The former head of the Mayo Clinic one time did a survey, had his staff do a survey of how many pages of regulations the Mayo Clinic had to comply with for Medicare patients. He, they stopped at 100,000 pages, and that was 20 years ago. So we think that the states are much better able to respond to people's needs, recognize their resources, and be able to, to change more quickly than the federal government can. So the, the healthcare choices proposal, and, and correct me if I'm wrong about any of this, but it would repeal the exchanges and the Medicaid expansion. It would replace it with a block grant that would be managed by the state. Is, is that correct so far? Sort of. The, instead of repealing the exchanges, we really, I mean, states may still decide that they, they want an exchange, but it repeals the entitlement to unlimited taxpayer funding for health insurance premiums to the point that the higher the premium is, the bigger the subsidy. And that money goes to insurance companies. And individuals only have the, the option of choices that were approved by Washington and the ACA. And basically you're saying either you take this Rolls Royce package of health insurance benefits or you go without coverage. And increasingly that's what we're saying. If people are not entitled to these big subsidies, they can't afford it. I have, we have people telling us that their health insurance premiums would cost more than their mortgage. They drop the coverage because oh it's so expensive. So we have to give people more choices. So yes, it would change the entitlement from a federal open-ended entitlement to insurance companies getting federal dollars to support health insurance coverage and the Medicaid expansion. Take that that bucket of money and distribute it to the states as formula grants, not just a block grant, but really based upon a complex formula that would ultimately have to be determined by Congress to make sure all states are whole, that make sure the states that didn't expand Medicaid are not disadvantaged, and to make sure the states have more freedom about how to spend that money to best advantage their citizens. And we've seen a lot of examples of how that could work. Now, we, we talked to Christopher Pope from the Manhattan Institute, and what he talked about was fully federalizing Medicaid programs across the country, with some exceptions. Long-term care would be block-granted in his proposal uh, because I think the, those budgets are a little bit more stable. Um, and, and he thinks that, generally speaking, big block grants are politically unfeasible. He says that over the last few decades, it's been attempted again and again. What, what makes you think that this block grant proposal might have greater success at passage? Well, we've actually seen a similar proposal work quite successfully with welfare reform and, and bipartisan proposal that was passed by a Republican Congress signed by former President Clinton in the 1970s, hugely successful in both 
getting benefits to the people who need them and giving states more flexibility in how those benefits are delivered. So we think that formula grant, when people talk about a Blanc grant, they think of a stable, this is how much money you're going to get, nothing changes. And I think they get frightened thinking, well, what if something should happen like COVID? Well, we can see Congress responds relatively quickly if you wind up with new challenges. But a formula grant would, would recognize the differences among the states give states more flexibility and, and frankly we're absolutely convinced because we've seen states doing it already that states would be able to take that money and do a better job of giving people options when chris pope talks about medicaid reform he's talking really about the whole program we're just talking about the particular part of medicaid that is the expansion population the healthy able-bodied adults 40% of whom have options for other coverage that is not federally funded and, and not putting so much pressure on the Medicaid for program that was designed for pregnant women, for children, for disabled people, for people that, that, that are really the poorest and the sickest of our citizens. And when you add millions more people to the program, no new providers, no new physicians, no new hospitals. You put stresses on the program and you make it more difficult for the most vulnerable people to actually get the care they need. So we are talking about taking that expansion population away, giving the states those resources to cover those populations, but do it in a way that gives them the option, particularly of private coverage. And one of the things our plan would also do is tell people that if you're on Medicaid in any of these categories and you would like to take that benefit as a kind of voucher or stipend and purchase a private plan, you can do that. It's sort of like the, the plan that Stuart Butler is talking about, Medicare Advantage, Medicaid, Medicare Advantage, I can still, after all these years, get mixed up, Medicaid, Medicare Advantage, where you give people the option of a private plan. So there are a lot of overlaps in these proposals, but Chris is talking about the need for overall Medicaid reform, the whole program, absolutely true. In our program, we just talk about taking the pressures off of these millions of people that are on Medicaid who very likely would do better if they had the option of private coverage and would then the Medicaid program could be more focused on serving those and really it's its core constituency. Can I ask a question about the formula? Sure. Because sir. one thing that Chris Pope said is that the way it works with the current Medicaid reimbursement program is that wealthier states get more money because yes. wealthier states can afford to offer more optional services like chiropractor care and things like that. And then as a result, they get more matching funds. So more money goes to wealthier states. Would you design the formulas to account for that so that money was better focused on where it was most needed? Or how would you do that? Absolutely. And, and really, it's not up to the policy community to get into the hardwiring of the formula. Okay. When with, we have been working with members of Congress, it's really a political decision it and is. they have to do all they have to do. We advise them, but ultimately the goal is to make sure that the poor states that, as you say, can't afford to put as mm -hmm. much money on the table to draw down those federal dollars, that they're not disadvantaged simply because their economies are not as strong. So that Medicaid becomes a fairer program among the states to be able to do a good job of taking a better job than it does of taking care of the most vulnerable. 
Yeah, I want. I worry sometimes about policymakers making formulas, but yeah, uh, you know, we I can advise them. But but we can advise them. It's we talk about decisions. block grants and education a lot, which I think is a great idea at the state level. And instead, we sort of get into this formula thing. I was just curious to see like how how you envision that sort of working itself. Out. Yeah, there's no magic wand. That's just really that's a lot of uh, getting into the the hard wiring, and that's really something that the politicians are much sure. better at than policy people. But we can give them the the goals and the right direction and, and yeah. consult with them. That's great. So I, I'd like to come back real briefly to Medicare Advantage for all because it, it doesn't necessarily preclude uh, the proposal that you have here, but I think it is certainly something that's being discussed more and more. Is, is that a proposal that you support Medicare Advantage for all? I, I think that you're still, that's, it's another step to the federal government basically controlling even more dollars in healthcare. And I, I just think that it's a it's a it's another way of of taking not just a step but a you know pretty big leap toward single payer health care. When you have Washington making all of those decisions, it just it not only shuts out the states, but it shuts out doctors and patients because it's so difficult for them to influence the decisions that are made in Washington that they have to live under. If you have the state, people get it. We've, do, we've done polling on this. They understand that they have more access to their state senators, their state legislators, yeah. even their governors, than they do to members of Congress and certainly the President of the United States in making decisions about their health care. The more you move it down, the whole principle of subsidiarity, the better the decisions are going to be made because they're closer to the people. And Medicare Advantage is just moving more power and money to Washington. And, and your, your proposal, I think, has uh, an eye towards savings. Could you talk a little bit about the savings that you expect from adopting a proposal like this? Well, actually, we had the, the earlier version, which is based upon the same model, was modeled by, a, by the Center of Health and Economy, which uses a, a modeling uh, uh, <clears throat> program that's very similar to that of the Congressional Budget Office. And it found that our plan would reduce premiums by one third, that coverage would remain at least equal, and we believe in a dynamic world that when premiums go down, more people actually wind up getting covered. And it winds up giving, um, saving money for the federal government. So it, it, when, you, when you devolve power to the states who actually know what they're doing in regulating the health insurance markets more than the federal government does, you can, you can spread those dollars further. What, what Obamacare did was take everybody in the, in the individual market and, and put them into the same, the same pool. So you had the sickest people and the healthiest people all basically paying the same premium. Well, after a while, the healthy people say, that's too much. My premiums are so high, my deductible is so high that I basically can't use the coverage. And I wind up having a, um, so they drop out. You've, you've lost about 3 million people in the individual health insurance market because they've dropped out because premiums are so high. Our plan would say we need to have specific money set aside for people who are the sickest people so that states can create different and better programs for them in order to be able to um, do a better job of caring for the most vulnerable. And what they've been able to do is lower premiums so that healthy people stay in the market and do a better job of taking care of the most vulnerable. 
Obviously, as a state-based think tank, we are all in su support of more state-based solutions, state-based sure. power. Yeah. Um, but your proposal is, at least in its first stage, really a federal reform proposal, correct? Well, it's, it's, it's taking the money that otherwise would have been spent on Obamacare. Right, but, but there's, nothing that the states, state. there's nothing states can do right now to institute a lot of the reforms that are in the proposal, correct? Well, actually, there are some. We, okay. we talk a lot about the Section 1332 provisions in the ACA that give people, uh, give states the option of taking some of this money and repurposing it to, as I say, do a better job of creating high-risk pools, uh, invisible high-risk pools, some sort of risk mitigation programs, and they're able to lower premiums. So there are some things already in the ACA that would devolve power to the states, and we absolutely support that. But we, we want to take that on the road and give states a lot more power and control. But in those cases, you're talking about states requesting a waiver first, right? The federal government has to grant they do. Now, now under 1332, they'd have to give a waiver. This basically says, here's, here's the money under the formula grant. Sure. And here's some guardrails. We want to make sure that you cover poor people. We want to make sure that people with the, with the highest health, the, the biggest health challenges, the highest cost, get better care than they do today. We want to make sure that people have choices of, of plans in the private market. So there are guardrails around how they spend that money to, we believe, best serve people. But, but the federal government's not going to try to micromanage every rule, as it does with the waiver, actually, Patrick. You're right. And, and I think related to that, uh, so in, in the meantime, you're a healthcare expert. Um, in the meantime, while this is being pushed through Congress, what do you think it is that states can be doing or should be doing to make healthcare more accessible and affordable? Because with coronavirus, we've seen a lot of waivers, particularly on supply side changes like expansions of licensure or expansions of scope of practice, some changes to certificate of need. In, in your expert opinion, apart from the proposal itself that deals, at least for now, mostly with federal changes, what are things that states can be doing right now that you think that, that they ought to pass a law for now, or if not pass a law, at least pass a waiver that increases access to, uh, to patients in, in states across the country? Well, I absolutely would start with your list, and all of those are actually in our healthcare choices plan, that we want people, uh, we can see the the disadvantage in the market with certificate of need of really driving out competition when you need competition to A, give people more choices, encourage innovation, and make sure that people have the option to get more affordable coverage. We want to see more transparency. States can do, can do a lot on surprise medical billing. We have some recommendations in here for that. But also, you're right, cross-state licensure, allowing people to buy, to buy policies, uh, to uh, allowing providers to be able to practice in the states where their, their skills are the most needed. But I think, I think transparency is a really important provision that we need to make sure that people um, can see the costs of things so that they have the option to be able to shop and to give people the the opportunity to save when they can find out when something is is a better value for them so why can i do that when i take my dog to the vet and i yes, can't do that exactly. when i go to the doctor i exactly. take my dog to the vet i love them but they're like they need an x-ray i'm like how much will that be yeah. i get an estimate before every procedure it doesn't happen with humans, and I don't right. quite understand. It's too bad. It's so true, and I think that states should look at that. My my colleague Brian Blaze, who actually was mm. the 
top uh, health policy advisor. You may want to have him on one of your podcasts. We did have him on one of our oh, podcasts. Oh, you did? Great. Yeah, we did. <laughs> great, because he's, great. He's, he's really a huge advocate for transparency and really helped to, to push the rule through that tells hospitals and doctors, you have to tell people how much something you, costs. You can't fix what you don't know. Exactly. Right? It's so... Right. So right, Susan. I feel like we've heard like several very great big ideas, and I'm just curious. I know uh, Patrick brought this up, but like, what do you really think the political fe feasibility is of this in 2020 over the next three or four years of seeing major changes to um, Medicaid, to the Affordable Care Act? Do you think we have an opportunity? Did COVID bring us an opportunity? What do you well, think? Well, I, th I think COVID has shown that that the private sector really is the best at responding yeah. quickly and innovating. We've seen that. We saw when the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control, decided that it was going to control all the decisions about what tests were approved, complete failure. But when you see the private market work, they come up with all these different tests. You see all the repurposing of supply chains and, and manufacturing capability. The, the private sector is able to respond quickly with the right incentives. And I think people get that. They know that the federal government is never going to innovate. And if what the thing we need most in the health sector is efficient is, is more innovation to get to a more efficient system, to get to one that's more affordable, that gives people more choices. Uh, we, uh, Patrick mentioned telemedicine. Obviously, that's a huge, huge opportunity for people to get care without exposing themselves to the risk of going into a doctor's office or hospital. So there's so many things out there that we can build on to give people more choices and more control. So I, th I think that that's a that's a really important platform. People see that. But this, this election is going to be very decisive about which way we go. I don't think that I've ever seen a time when there are such completely divergent paths about whether or not we want a great deal more government control in our health sector. The public option, people think that's something benign and neutral. Oh, let's just give people a government health insurance plan. It will kill the competition. You cannot have, you can't compete when the federal government is dumping an unlimited number of dollars into a health plan, telling people they can get the plan for free with no deductible. Of course, yeah. they're going to get all the business. Private yeah. insurance will collapse. So that's what the Democrats are offering. Fixing the AC is basically a, a, another step toward that. Or let's really rethink what we know about what works. And what we know works is individual choice, private competition, giving people the opportunity to have, to giving states the opportunity to take that money and do a better job of taking care of the most vulnerable, people who are low income can't otherwise afford, and otherwise couldn't afford care, and giving people more options of coverage than they have now so they can have coverage that that works for them and by the way that's portable that they own so that if they lose their job if something happens like a pandemic they don't have to lose their health insurance because they control that policy so one of my favorite books is i mean a book i like i, I i'm not sure if i can say favorite but democracy in america by alexis mm -hmm. de tocqueville oh, and this is what he like pointed out about our can-do spirit, and I study education policy uh, as a at, for a living. That's what I do, and I, we're just like seeing rapid-fire innovation in education right now that yes. I think is so fascinating. Because when people are left with the choices they don't like, they create their they create a new choice. So parents are creating new choices, sort of on the fly right now. And uh, I do think that it's a horrible crisis, but it has provided these opportunities for people to think and figure this out. And I've seen. 
I've seen bars and restaurants figuring out individual different plans. I've been sort of looking at them and assessing like, well, that was a good one. I've seen doctor's offices. My doctor started coming up with this plan right away and how you can come in and drive through or we can do telemedicine. And we innovated so quickly within the space of six months, which I think is like a minute, you know what I mean? And uh, I think we got to kind of keep that spirit going because we can find answers. We can always find answers to these kinds of problems. But I'm with you for sure, Grace Mary, if we look to the government to do it, we will get the worst possible solution. I mean, that should be the, the uh, last resort for where we look to, to, to for answers when we have so much innovation and smart people in this country in the private sector who will figure stuff out. They'll figure it out. That's what they I They will figure it out. And actually, there are so many good models already. Yeah. Direct, tri direct primary care is a good example. Yeah. You know, people who pay a relatively small monthly fee to a primary care doctor, and they can go see that doctor anytime the doctor gets them generic drugs sometimes for pennies a pill. They they are a, a conduit if, if somebody gets sick. Obviously, they, they need a catastrophic health insurance policy if they get cancer or whatever. Primary care doctor is not going to be able to treat that or if they get in a major accident. But they will then help them get to the best doctors and the best specialists and often negotiate better prices for MRIs and CAT scans, et cetera. So that, that sector of the market it's working great, and that's completely independent of the federal government. Right. People in health sharing ministries. I mean, those people are also uh, able to share bills, um, medical bills that are negotiated down because of transparency of costs, and they share the bills of those who are in a like-minded community. There, there already are ideas bubbling up. If you get public option, Medicare for all, all of that will collapse. That's what I, my sister works at a, doc, a medical lab. It's a dermatology lab. And she said, if it, we go to Medicare for all, her doctors will drop out because right now they can just read slides from anywhere in the world. They read them digitally. So they, they'll just contract with China. Like they won't participate in a system like that. And I think we would see a lot of providers uh, leaving the healthcare marketplace if it becomes a totally government run. It's, it's too much it's too much bureaucracy and I, I just won't be worth it so hopefully we don't go that direction but I love that people are generating great ideas like yours that's and that great. we get and to we discuss too. them in and, healthcare uh, and education that's so great and there yeah. really are a lot of similarities because the that's government right. controls so much of both of those sectors right. yeah. we need to liberate them so people can come up with ideas Agreed. and innovations that's right what do you think Patrick I think that's all great so you want to centralize everything <laughs> no, Patrick does not. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, no, I, I think, I think, I think the uh, the discussion has been terrific so far, and and I appreciate you being on, Grace. Uh, yes, do you have any yes. other questions, Susan? No, I, it was fascinating. I really appreciated um, learning more about your your proposal. So thank you very much for joining us and taking the time. Thank and, you. And um, and we'll re we'll follow you and and find out more. Wonderful. And so maybe after we release our healthcare choices plan, hopefully in uh, early September, we can come back and maybe talk about the ideas in that because I be think great. that it really helps people understand how do you answer the left's promises of something, you know, a free healthcare for everybody all the time. Just don't even have to worry your head about it because the federal government is going to take care of you. To really answer with specific ideas and specific solutions about how we can do a better job, an American better job based upon everything that we know about what works in our economy, what works in our democracy, that thanks to Alex de Tocqueville, yeah, exactly. to, to devolve power down to communities, down to individuals to solve a lot of these problems themselves, but 
having the resources to do it. We'd love to have you back. And I know it's hard to work against Santa Claus, but we do lots of anti-Santa Claus work at the Show Me Institute. And so yeah. it's nice to have fellow warriors. Um, can't, you know, can't give everything to everyone. So, well, yes, thank you for all you do. Thank you for all you do so to much. educate right. people. Thank, thank you, you Grace Marie. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Show Me Institute podcast. Find more at showmeinstitute.org.